Let's pray. Father, now as we go to look at your word, to see you in it, we pray that it would be the mirror that it is. That that we'd see you for who you are, but we'd see ourselves for who we are in relation to you. Uh, We don't want to forget what we look like, as James says. We want to see what we look like according to your word and turn from the things that shouldn't be in that mirror and, uh, and turn towards the things that ought to be in the mirror. And so I pray... God, that you would uh, use this time as you see fit. We offer it to you in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. We're starting a new series. So um, we're doing this series, we're calling it uh, Gospel DNA. I want to move through the book of Galatians and, and talk about that in relation to this church. I really believe that the gospel has to be central to everything that we do here. So uh, that's why we're doing this series called Gospel DNA. We're going to move through Galatians. We'll probably take a break during Christmas and look at a more of a Christmas-oriented message, look at some vision stuff in January, and then finish up uh, Galatians in uh, February. So we're kind of moving through this book, uh, taking a piece at a time. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to read it during the week. You kind of come to Sunday service like ready to hear whatever's going on in it. Uh, it's wonderful not to come to the text cold, so I encourage you to think about doing that, and that'd be great. We're also talking about uh, Sunday school starting up in October. We're looking at doing a series on prayer, uh, the uh, Jim Cimbala's series on prayer. It'd be a DVD-based series, and we get together, learn a bit about prayer, and then do some praying for the direction of this church, for personal needs, uh, for all these different kinds of things. We've got to be lifting up to God um, in prayer. So be thinking about that. That's coming up. And um, other than that, be inviting your friends. It's kind of a good time to say, hey, there's new stuff going on here. When I walked in this morning, it was a little bit chilly in the church, so I figure if we get more people, it'll be warmer, right? Right? Okay. So be thinking about that. Um, our goal is to not heat the church at all, just get people, right? That's, that's the goal. So we're going to save on some heating costs. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll get the heat going and all that too. But um, anyway, we're going to look at Galatians. So if you turn to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, that's where we're going this morning. If you're new, there are notes in your bulletin. You can pull those out and follow along with the notes. Fill in the blanks. If you don't like pre-printed notes, just use the back of your notes and and do your own thing. Whatever Whatever feels comfortable. If you're using a pew Bible, you're turning to page 823. If you're looking for that. This morning I really want to set up the book of Galatians for us uh, with some introductory matters and some central matters focusing on the gospel so that we can kind of lead out from there. So check out verse 1 of Galatians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, set not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. 
Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Imagine for a moment, you are a church builder. You were in the business of planting churches and you realize uh, the analogy that Pastor Brian gave last week. You're a builder of people and, and you know the kind of DNA you want them to have. And now imagine you're building a church at a time in American history where races are segregated. And you're building this new church, building the people of the church, and you start this thing and, and, and you're trying to promote a, a gospel DNA where, where black people and white people and any people can get together and worship in this church. And yet that's not what's going on in the culture around you. And so you're doing this, you're building this. And you realize schools are being segregated, but you're saying the church can't be that way. So you start this thing, you appoint elders, they call a pastor, and then you leave. You're going to start planning new churches. You're a church builder. That's in your DNA. You've got to go do more of that. And then you find out a year later that other Christians have started coming to the church, quote-unquote Christians, have started coming to the church that you started, and they're changing things. They've confronted the pastor and the elders, and, and they're very influential to this group of people that starts attending. And they say, you, you can't have black people and white people in the same church. That's not working. That, that, that's not what God wants. We have to have segregation here. This is a church just for our kind of people. And so they start pushing out other people of other races. They're changing the DNA of the church because those people are church builders also. But they have a different vision for what they want to see happen. They have a different DNA that they want to build. And so they start pushing out other people of other racers and bringing in segregation to the church that you started. And you find this out wherever you're living at the moment. You find out what's going on. And so you type this email and you send it away to the pastor and the elders and say, what's going on here? How can you push these people out just because they look different than you? What's going on here? We are all one in the gospel. We're all one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. We are one in Christ. And so you start fighting this battle over this correspondence that you send. This is what's happening in the book of Galatians. Really, there's two issues going on here that you have to understand. And one of them is also related to the gospel thing. Because when you send this email, when you send this email away, your detractors hear about it and they start saying, Oh, that, that, that first church planner, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not from the denomination we come from. We don't really think you should trust him very much. This is what's happening in Galatians. Two things. They're in your notes and they're on the overhead here. Number one issue in Galatians is gospel. It's gospel. Paul starts the church, the church as of Galatia on the foundation that the gospel is for all people. Jews and Greeks, slave or free, male or female, it's for everybody. And we should all be together on this. But there's a group of people that come into the church, an influential group of Jewish people that say, if you want to be part of the church, you need to obey the law. We're not tossing out Jesus, don't worry. It's Jesus plus law, Old Testament law, Mosaic law. You better obey Torah if you expect to actually be in the church. So you've got to eat like a Jew. You've got to think and talk like a Jew. You need to be circumcised like a Jew. And if you're not, we can't have fellowship with you. 
You're not part of this church. Paul hears about this. And as you can see in a moment here, we're going to look back at this text this morning. He is not happy. In fact, he's astonished about what's happening in the church that he started. The other issue that you're going to find in Galatians throughout the book is that Paul's apostleship is being called into question. Now, an apostle in the Bible is one who is sent. And, and, and it can be generic or it can be very specific. Most of the time, it's very specific. An apostle is one who is sent by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus commissioned 12 apostles. One fell away. They replaced him later in the book of Acts. Um, And those are people that Jesus talked to. They knew Jesus. They saw Jesus. And he sent them to do the work of an apostle. To plant churches. To keep the Christian movement going. And so Peter preaches at Pentecost and starts this thing off. But the people that join this Galatian church are saying, you don't need to listen to Paul. He's not really an apostle the way the way the 12 apostles were. He's not really on their level. He's kind of subpar. He's like a sub-apostle, all right? Don't listen to what he has to say. He kind of came late in the game anyway. I mean, you know he's a persecutor and all that. So, so, So really, he doesn't have the same authority as Peter and James and John. Really, we come from Peter, James, and John. You ought to listen to us. And we say... We need a little more segregation here. We need a little more Torah obedience if you really want to be in. You see what's going on here? Paul's being called into question and the gospel's being called into question and then Paul has to write this letter to the churches in Galatia. They're probably house churches meeting in people's homes and he's saying, this is a problem. We have to change this. You have to go back to what this church was founded on. Okay, with that in mind... In the coming weeks, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is going to come back to those issues. Now let's look at our text this morning. He starts out in verse 3 when he says, Grace and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It sounds like Paul is starting his letter with the gospel. This is, this is a way of, of, of saying the gospel. Jesus Christ came to give himself for our sins and rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of the Father to be praised forever. That's the gospel. He starts it out that way. This is the focus. This is what the church was built on. And then he says in verse 6, I am astonished that you're deserting what you were founded on. You're you're deserting the basis of your faith and turning to another gospel. So Paul is trying to say right away in the start of this letter, there's only one true gospel. And that's his main point here in the very beginning. There's only one gospel and you, church, are are failing at sticking to it. There's a scolding thing going on here between Paul and the Galatian church. He's like, what are you doing? There's only one and, and you're replacing it with something else which isn't a gospel at all. He's astonished that they're doing this. So I want to answer the question. Let me go to the next slide. Um, If there's only one true gospel, what happens if you introduce a new gospel? What's at stake for the church if other gospels creep up into our theology? By the way, gospel is euangelion. In Greek, it means good news. That's why we often say the good news of Christ. Gospel means good news, literally. Um, What happens when you amend 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Point one, next slide. When you amend the gospel, you have to understand that all other gospels lack God. All other gospels lack God. Look at verse six. I'm astonished that you, church, are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. You are deserting God. If you take Jesus and add good works of of the law, Jesus plus law, you're changing the gospel, and that gospel means God is not in it. You've deserted the one who called you. You've deserted God himself. All other gospels lack God. If you look at how Paul describes God in Galatians chapter 1, he could describe him in many different ways. But if you look at verse, uh, look at verse 1, he describes God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Look at his description of God in, uh, in verse 4. Um, it says, according to the will of our God and Father. It's God's will. It's the Father's will that you are rescued from this present evil age. It's God's will that you are freed from your sin. That's what God wants for you. That's his plan for your life. When Paul describes God here, he's very descriptive. It's the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And it's the God who whose will it is that you're freed from your sin. He describes God in very redemptive terms, doesn't he? Very redemptive terms. It's a God who frees us from sin. It's a God who raises Jesus. I mean, you can describe God many different ways that are truthful. Like today, we were singing that song, and we were singing it before, actually, that, that glory, glory, glory to the one who sits enthroned. I, I don't even know that song well, but, but it's a song about God that's praising him for his kingship. And then the song afterwards we sang how deep the Father's love which praises God for His redemptive nature. So you can describe God as the great King. You can describe God as the Holy One. Paul wants to describe God in the very first chapter here as the redemptive God, the God who saves people from their sins. He's connecting God to the Gospel and says if you get rid of the real Gospel, you get rid of God. If you change anything here, you're kicking God out. I, when I was living in Watoma, on Saturdays I'd often have uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. And the first time they came, I, I didn't tell them who I was, I didn't tell them I was a pastor, I just kind of played along. Is that deceptive? I hope not. But I just played along and just listened and then I, I had some conversations with them. And eventually by the end I kind of told them who I was and what I believed. And then they decided it'd be fun to bring their trainees to my door every subsequent Saturday to get training with me which was a little odd, um, especially the second time they came back and I wasn't really ready and I think I was in shorts and a, I don't know, I don't know what I was wearing, but I wasn't ready for a conversation on my porch with, with them. But I went out there, I remember, and, and I'm talking with them. And I remember I, I took, because I, they, don't, they don't believe in our Bible, they use the Watchtower translation, which is um, grossly uh, misinterpreted the way that they, that's the only one they can use. But I took their Bible, which is not even the true Bible, and I opened it up and I took them to Revelation. And I said, look in Revelation uh, 5, and, and, and you, can see, you can see the Lamb being praised in the throne room of heaven. Glory to the Lamb who was slain. And then I took them to another part in Revelation, I think the very end of Revelation, where... Um, John falls down to worship the angel and the angel says, don't worship me, worship God. And so I said to them, 
Do you believe that God is the only one who should be worshipped? Yes. Then how is it that Jesus is worshipped in the throne room here? Jesus is God. And they said, No, you, you, you know, Revelation's full of visions and you, you can't take that too, too seriously. Really? Really? The throne room of God I can't take seriously. You're telling me Jesus is not God even though I see Him worshipped here. That's a problem. And I remember I said to them, I kind of kicked it up a notch and I said, this is a serious theological disagreement. This is serious and one of us is going to hell. And he said, yes, you're right. That would make me stop and say, what am I believing? What am I doing? Am I right? Am I following the sacred word of God? Or am I compromising here? What is going on? Because Jesus is God and He died for our sins. And when you compromise that, you lose God Himself. We're not worshiping the same God as the Jehovah's Witness. We're not. No matter what they say, it's not the same. It's not the same God of the Mormons. It's not the same God of Islam. It's different. Now, that brings me to a false gospel I want to touch on. Uh, You can go to the next slide. There's a false gospel. We'll call it Exhibit A. It's the many paths gospel. It's, it's, this view has been around forever, but it's, it's, there's a resurgence in popularity in this view. One of the reasons, I believe, is uh, the book called uh, Love Wins by Rob Bell. I read this book. Maybe you have too. Don't recommend it. Big interpretation issues in that book. What Bell suggests, pastor at in, in, uh, Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, what he suggests is that when Jesus... I read the book and I was, I was astonished. Just like Paul, I was astonished. He says, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, it's unclear what the mechanism is. That's his word, mechanism. It's unclear what the mechanism is to go through Jesus. So you may, might be able to be a Buddhist and a faithful Buddhist and walk through Jesus even though you don't even know it. But if you're true to your Buddhist beliefs, you're actually walking through Jesus to the Father. You can be a faithful Muslim and walk through Jesus even though you don't know it. There's different mechanisms, but one same way. Which is absolutely ridiculous. What is the mechanism by which we walk through Jesus? It starts with an F. Faith! I mean, it's faith. It's easy. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Allah. No! It's so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. Faith is the mechanism. The many past gospel is not a gospel at all. There's no hope, no matter how sincere you are, of other faiths. There's no hope. You must believe in Christ. He that has a Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life, for God's wrath remains on him. Do you have the Son or not? The mechanism is faith. There is no other gospel that's part of this many paths thing. Jesus in John 6.37 says it like this. Uh, He says, Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, on which God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Then the people ask Him, What must we do to do the work God requires? What they're saying is, How do we get this eternal life you just talked about? And Jesus says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. You want to work to have eternal life? This is the work of God. Belief. Faith. It's the mechanism that allows us to enter through Jesus, the narrow 
way. The other ways are broad and they lead to destruction. So that is a false gospel. When you encounter it, please talk about it lovingly and point to the truth of the Bible on that issue. Okay, if you change the gospel, number two, next slide, the other problem is that all other gospels lack grace. All other gospels lack grace. Paul says, I am astonished that you've left the one who called you by grace. Verse six, I am astonished that you've left the one who called you by grace. He's like, church, you started on grace and now you're getting away from it. Now you're depending on the works of the law. You're depending on keeping the Ten Commandments. Good luck with that because that's not grace-filled. Good luck on your own there. If you walk away from the true gospel, you're walking away from grace, which means you are on your own. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's working in your life. And if you don't want that, then it's just your effort, your self-effort that you're depending on. Good luck with that. Uh, when, I was, when I was in Chicago going to Moody Bible Institute, I was also uh, dating Christy and we were engaged. And uh, I... I loved her and I still do. But, you know, when you love somebody, you do crazy things, don't you? And uh, I, I would go home every weekend to see her. I would take a charter bus from Midway Airport to Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. I would do my homework on the bus and try to get it done on the weekends. Um, one Sunday, I missed my bus back to Chicago. I don't remember why. I must have been staring into her eyes during lunch or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but something caused me to miss that bus. And that was a bad day. And uh, I figured, how am I going to get back to Chicago? You know, i got to kind of have to be there. And uh, I remember looking uh, online and I found out that there was a Greyhound bus that left from Bloomington Normal. So, get me to Bloomington, all right? Let's get in the car. We're going to Bloomington. And, and the bus left like at, I don't know, 6 or 7 o'clock at night. I didn't know where it was going to drop me off in Chicago. I'm not kidding you. I didn't know where I was going to get dropped off and it was going to be after 11 o'clock at night, 11, 11.30. That's crazy, people. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I'm sure you have some love stories too like that. But um, So I did it and I was dropped off. And I remember walking around in Chicago and it's like 11.30 at night. It's getting close to midnight and there's not many people on the street at that time and the people that you do see you don't, don't want to talk to really, you know? And you don't want their help really. I only want God's help at this point. I want a taxi. And I'm walking, I'm looking at people. And you know, the people that you see on the street that late at night, they're looking at you like, what are you doing out here? You know, you're crazy. I mean, I'm thinking, I am crazy. I remember praying and saying, God, I need a taxi. <laughs> I need a taxi like right now. Because at one point, I, got, I mean, I got my bearings. I kind of knew where I was when I was dropped off. And uh, I got a mile and a half to go. I'm estimating this in my head. I, I don't want to walk a mile and a half in this. <laughs> So I was praying for a taxi. And sure enough, after walking a little bit, I saw a taxi, flagged him down, and, and got back to my dorm, and I was fine. Well, I, I just want to tell you, I depend on the grace of God daily. Not only for my physical well-being, like that was, but I depend on, on grace for, for spiritual well-being, for, for resisting sin, for doing the work of God. I wake up in the morning and I'm counting on grace because I'm not a perfect guy. I'm not a perfect pastor. But by God's grace, I can be more than what I would be. I'm counting on it. You want to see me without grace? It's not pretty. I don't want to see you without grace either. If I can help it. <laughs> okay? I'm counting on it. 
I am count, as, as sinful as I am, I am counting on grace every single day, and I hope you are too. And Paul says, do you want to trust in a gospel of works? Then you are on your own, church. And good luck with that. False gospel exhibit B. Next slide. By the way, how many of you, just as a fun question, how many of you would say at some point you were in a near-death situation? I don't think I was in downtown Chicago. I'm not saying that. But how many would say that you felt like you should have died at some point in your life, but you were spared? How many would say when you had experience like that? Okay, good, good. God's grace is real. It's real. False gospel exhibit B. The works gospel. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is something we fall prey to a lot in the church, but I think in America, in America, you're going to meet a lot of folks. You're going to have neighbors that believe that if they do more good stuff than bad stuff, they're going to get into heaven. They have this view that God is not the judge. He's more like the guy who weighs your, your, you know, he's like the scales guy for the truckers. You know, he wants to weigh how much is in there. You know, he's like the guy, the the nurse in the doctor's office, hop on the scale, let's see how how healthy you are. You don't want to do it, right? (laughs) But, um, but, but you see God as this, as this divine weight person. and, And if your good stuff weighs more than your bad stuff, you're in, you're good, come on in. But that's not God. He's a judge. And good judges don't say, Oh, you know, you did this over here. You lied and and you stole over here and you did a little bit of... Don't worry about it. That's not what good judges do. However, this good judge, who's not going to ignore your bad stuff, sent his son to pay for your bad stuff. There's still justice with God. There'll never be a time where there's not justice because either we're going to pay for our own sins in hell or Jesus is going to pay for them himself. And you can accept that free gift. That's the gospel. So I'm just telling you, you need to be looking for this in your neighbors because this is so prevalent. I talked to a, a couple years ago, I sat down with a family and I was talking to them and they brought their uh, son in. They were new to the church and, and they wanted their, their son was in fifth or sixth grade and he was scared about hell. And we sat down and they said, we want you to tell our son he doesn't have to worry about hell. He's a good boy. And I said, I don't even have to know your son to know he's bad. Because I'm bad. <laughs> I'm just looking at him. I can tell. I can see into his soul. <laughs> that would be scary. But I said, I said, in a very gentle way, I said, you know what? He has every right to fear hell. Because that's where sinners go and we all sin. And God's not going to overlook one thing he's done unless he's asked for forgiveness of Christ. And I wish I could tell you that they got saved that day. They didn't. But they kept thinking about this and eventually they did get saved. And, and I led him, I, and I, I led his sister to faith in, in youth group one, one night. And that was just an amazing day. And this last summer, they were, and I'm not telling you any secrets, any counseling secrets. I mean, they told this story to the church uh, in August and told everybody about this story about hell and how he was scared and, and how that fear of hell ended up leading their whole family to Christ. And that Sunday that they shared their testimony, I got to baptize them. I mean, that is just a blast. But I'm telling you, this thought that, that you can be a good boy and get in is prevalent in America today. It makes no logical sense. If God is a good judge, He's not going to overlook anything you've done unless you ask forgiveness based on the death of His Son, whom He took all of His wrath out on. 
So, there's the works gospel. And finally, finally number three, if you change the gospel, all other gospels lack life. They lack life. Look at verse 8 and 9 with me real quick. If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned. That's a strong word, and Paul's not backing down here. I mean, this is like, let them be cursed forever in hell. That's what Paul is saying. If even an angel comes to you, God's messengers par excellence, you know, that the greatest of all messengers, if an angel comes to you and tells you something different, don't believe him. Don't believe her. Even if I come, even if I come back to you and say, I, Paul, want to want to change a little bit of my original message, don't believe me. It reminds me of a cartoon I was watching uh, Yogi Bear with my kids, and he's like, boo-boo, why don't you chain me to this tree so I don't get those picnic baskets, you know? Picnic, that's why. Picnic baskets, you know? No matter what I say, don't let me go. And then, you know, he gets chained up and says, let me go, let me go, you know? Um, the idea is, listen to the first thing I said to you. Don't listen to the second thing I said to you. The first thing was the truth. The first thing was the basis of your faith. Don't listen to anything else you ever hear on the gospel. Listen to the thing that entered you into the faith of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And actually, I kind of thought about this, and I'm like, Paul, why, why are you saying don't listen, to the first thi- don't listen to the second thing you say, listen to the first thing you say? And it makes a whole lot of sense later in the book when he says, well, we're going to get to this. When you believe in the true gospel, you've got the Spirit, you've got grace, you've got all these benefits. Don't change the works. Don't do it. He's going to go into that in a big way. But um, all other gospels lack life. Um, false gospel exhibits C, and then we'll wind things down here. Um, there, there's a born that way gospel that's out there today and it's becoming more and more prevalent in America today. And the idea is, if God created me and I have certain tendencies, especially in the sexual area, if I have certain tendencies that the church says is wrong and that the Bible says is wrong, I just have to understand God made me that way and I'm okay and God loves me the way I am. And there are, there are entire churches starting in the Twin Cities. When, when I go there for Bethel, I'm hearing about these churches that are getting started, that they're based on this idea that we're just born that way. It's not sin. Don't worry about it. But here's what we forget. There's a really simple answer to this. David says it like this. In sin, my mother conceived me. Paul says it like this. In Romans uh, chapter 6, am I right? No, chapter 7. Chapter 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this soma of death, this body of death? Soma is a Greek word, and it means literally flesh and blood, this thing. He's like, this is a body of death. This thing's a traitor. This thing will lead me down bad paths. I was born with sinful tendencies. I was born that way. I was born needing a savior. That's what Paul's getting at here. He says, who will save me from this body of death? Praise be to God, is what he says next. I'll, I'll make sure I get it right here. Through, uh, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's like, Jesus has freed me from this thing. And so we say to people who say, I was born that way. God loves me because he made me this way. We say, you know, no, no, no. You were born that way, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm fine with saying that. But Jesus wants more for you than what you are right now. 
He loves you the way you are, but He doesn't want you to stay that way. And He's not okay with the sin of it. He's not okay with it. I was born with a lot of sinful tendencies. And God's not okay with any of them. But He's transforming me. He's changing me. So the born that way gospel is another false gospel. And I'm sure there's more and we can go into that, but I want to kind of bring us to a close here. The missional application, the last point on the, on the slideshow there, is um, this. Oh, it's in your notes, not on, the, not on the slideshow, I'm sorry. I want to challenge you, church, to fight for the clarity of the gospel. Fight for the clarity of the gospel. And what I mean by that is, I hear people give testimonies and the, the, they talk a lot about maybe the sin God's, God, God got them out of, but I don't hear the cross. Okay, I'm, I'm often missing an important piece. When you have a chance to share your story in front of the church or to a coworker or to whoever, make sure you include the cross because that was the entrance to your faith. A lot of people might hear your story and think, hey, if I sign up for this church thing, if I go to church then I'll become a better person. Church attendance is a good work. And if I start coming here, I'll become a better person too, and then God's going to be happy with me. And that's not the truth. You want to include the cross in your story because the cross changed you, the cross saved you, and the cross is how you're living your life right now. So be clear on it. When your kids are talking about why they're saved, make sure they're clear that it wasn't about praying the special prayer. It was about believing in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the special prayer is just, is just us putting into words what we believe in our hearts about the cross of Christ. Let's be clear about it. And when we hear our neighbors talking about issues of life after death, let's make sure they don't believe the gospel of good works. When you hear a distortion, lovingly talk about it. Go there. It's worth it. And I'm not saying you have to go around like Paul and start calling people anathema, okay? That'd be a little awkward anyway. They wouldn't know what you meant anyway, right? Anathema, you know. Let's, let's, I mean, okay. I get what Paul's doing. He's doing the same thing Jesus did. When there's religious leaders that are leading people astray, Jesus saved his most fiery comments for those people, okay? He didn't save them for the unsaved people. You terrible, you know. He saved them for the religious people that would lead other people astray. That's the people he hit the hardest. He says, Pharisees, when you make a convert, you make that person twice as much a son of hell as you are. Ouch! You know? Ouch! And Paul's doing the same thing here. You leaders that are coming in here and leading this dear church astray, anathema to you. This is horrible. So let's hold on to the true gospel. Um, In a moment, we're going to have the uh, worship team come up. You can come up now, worship team, for our last song. We're going to sing Amazing Grace again, I believe. So if worship team, you come to the front. Um, and I ask the rest of you to close your eyes and bow your heads now. And I want to ask you this. If you've heard the gospel today clearly, that Jesus Christ has come to save you from your sin, that he died on a cross for you, and if you want to believe that today, if you want that mechanism of faith to happen, to believe it, and you've never done this before, let's pray today. Okay, let's do this. If you want to believe that today for the first time, would you look up at me and we'll pray together? If that's you and this is your day to believe this, let's do this. Let's do this. All right. So the five or six of you that have looked up at me, let's, let's pray together, okay? 
You can pray in your heart. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It means nothing if you don't mean it. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve to be anathema, to be eternally cut off from you. And yet I believe that Jesus paid to free me from my sin. I believe his death gives me new life. So I ask your forgiveness. I ask for new life. Thank you so much for saving me. So Lord Jesus, now it's my intention to follow you the rest of my life. In your name I pray. Amen.